series since January about the return of Jesus. I'm actually going to start calling it the gospel of Jesus' return because it is good news, isn't it? That Jesus is on his way back. Yeah, it is our faith that he is returning. We've been in it since January and not the sole topic, but something we've been talking about is all of the prophecies that Jesus spoke or the rest of Scripture about what has to happen before he comes back. We talked about the harvest and we've talked about changes in culture and in the world and talked about what's going on in heaven now with the people who are already there, what's Jesus been doing for 2,000 years, and so on. Now we're ready to start talking about the actual day when Jesus returns, the moment we see him face to face. We're going to spend uh, several weeks on what happens on that day, what the Old Testament calls the day of the Lord. And the New Testament just return, re- refers to the return of Jesus. So I want to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here we go. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. That means dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul says, comfort one another with these words. And that word can mean put your arm around somebody who's crying and comfort him, but it means encourage It means uh, make somebody happy. Paul says, get happy with each other over what I'm writing about. Are you ready to get happy? Yeah. It's very good news. It is absolutely part of the gospel is that Jesus is returning. If we only preach that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, that's not the complete gospel because the rest of it is that he's still alive and he's returning for us. And there will be a day, a moment in real-time world history where he interrupts world history like never before. And the greatest day that will have ever been will happen when we will see Jesus face to face. So far, the greatest day in history is the resurrection. But when Jesus returns, that will trump anything else that's ever happened. Because it just keeps building. So Paul says in this passage here that... When that happens, when the day comes that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, there will be some very loud announcement, Jesus is here. Then it says the dead in Christ will rise. That's not like a zombie movie with dead bodies crawling up out of the ground. All right? (laughs) I don't think... But the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead will have anything to do with death. It has everything to do with resurrection. So Paul says those Christians who have died in the last 2,000 years, who Jesus and Paul and Peter and John all use the word asleep for them. Back in January, I did a whole message just on what are those people doing now. Go back and get the CD if you want to. Remember that stuff. What's going on in heaven now? Are they conscious? Can they see us? Are they awake? Are they alive? What things look like? All that was answered back in January. But 
Paul says the dead in Christ will rise. It will not be gray, zombie, dead bodies crawling up out of the dirt. This will be eternally glorified, spiritually perfect, heavenly bodies rising from the dead. Paul says it like this, that this body is a seed that gets planted in the ground just like any other seed. And what comes up out of the ground is this body, but it doesn't look the same just like an acorn doesn't look like the oak tree. But DNA-wise, it's exactly the same. It is this body. Like a kernel of corn becomes a stalk of corn, or an acorn becomes a tree, DNA-wise, those seeds are exactly the same as the body that grows out of them. But they aren't the same. Jesus' resurrection body, after His resurrection, is our example of these bodies that we will have when Jesus returns. It was the same body He had always lived in. It even had the holes in His hands and the side and His feet. Yes? But it wasn't the same body either. It had changed because He could appear and disappear and people didn't immediately recognize Him as the same man He was. But they weren't saying, oh, there's an alien or there's a ghost. The two men walked down the road with Him the entire time and He was nothing other than a man. All right. So whatever Jesus was resurrected as, we will be resurrected as, which is this body, but the Bible word is glorified. It's been changed, it's been perfected, and this body of sin and death is done away with, and we have our eternal holy body. Paul says, at the moment Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise, and then we who are alive will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. Jesus says, or I'm sorry, the angel said when Jesus rose up into heaven and the apostles are standing on the hill looking up waiting for him to come back down, the angels appear and they say, he will come just as he went, meaning out of the sky, in the clouds, and then we will always be with the Lord from that moment on. Never ever be apart. There will never, everything will be made perfectly right. No weakness, no ignorance, no sin, no war, no poverty, no death, no nothing. Bad, everything good from that moment on. There are other events that will happen. The Bible tells us about them all. But for us, from that moment on, from the sound of the trumpet and the return of Jesus, we will be with him and we will never, ever be apart from him from then on. Matthew twenty four twenty seven says this, this is Jesus speaking these words, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus said it will happen like lightning, meaning fast, bright, and loud. Fast, bright, and loud. Lightning, as it goes from the east to the west. As far as the east is from the west, well, what's that? It's the entire world. So for those of you who might be afraid of this, you're not going to miss it. You will know. And yeah, same thing happened first service. People chuckled, but there are people who are afraid of that. Because even as the Bible was still being written, Paul has to address two false teachers that were going around telling Christians that the resurrection had already happened and they missed it. And it was so serious to Paul, he says, I hand them over to Satan so they will die. 
It was a very, very serious evil that these two preachers were doing, telling people, scaring them, that they'd missed the resurrection. You won't miss it. If you belong to Jesus, you're safe. All right? It will happen bright, loud, and fast. The entire world will see it. There's lots of scriptures that say that. It will happen very, very obviously. It isn't going to be secret. In fact, Jesus used that word. when Jesus says, if anybody tells you he's here in the secret rooms, don't believe them. It will happen very worldwide publicly. Don't follow anybody else that says they have some secret knowledge or Jesus is here and the rest of the world doesn't know it. It's going to be very loud and very bright and very public. Just like lightning. Comfort one another with these words. Okay? Be at peace. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, Our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Let me pause there and tell you this. When Adam and Eve sinned, God kicks them out of the garden and he puts the angel with the flaming sword, the ninja angel, keeping them away from the tree. These, the angel's keeping them away from the tree. That is not just God's justice, that is God's mercy. Because if God had let them eat of the tree of life, then we would be stuck eternally in sin and death and war and poverty and ignorance. We would literally be living hell on earth because no one would have ever died and we would just be perfecting our sin. And it would be horrible. So it is actually God's mercy that these bodies die and that there is an end to our sinful, painful part of our existence. And God says that part will be put away and I will give you a reborn, new, eternal being that is not sinful, that is not in pain, that has never suffered loss or ignorance or any bad thing. It's actually God's mercy that there is an end to this. Because this thing cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So, it's actually, thank you, praise God, that we get to die. True. Thank you that you didn't let us eat of the tree of life and live eternally in this state. Okay, these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So here Paul says, in in a moment, in the blink of an eye, the word moment there in the Greek that Paul's writing in, the word is atomos, A-T-O-M, like atom, like nuclear. In their thinking, in their language, the word atom meant the smallest indivisible part. Now we know that atoms are made up of other stuff, electrons and protons. But in, in their ancient Greek world, atom was the smallest indivisible part. Paul says as fast, as brief, as indivisibly small of a moment as is possible, we're changed. It will happen instantly. There's no process to it. It is in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the New King James says. This version says, in the blink of an eye, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will raise immortal, and our bodies, who are still alive, if we are still alive when it happens, we will be changed immediately. 
Some of you may have the idea that that's a scary thing, or you may have seen movies where it's even a violent thing, and that isn't Jesus. It will be so smooth and gentle and instantaneous, it may take us a while to even register what just happened. I told you the story back in January of a pastor from Western Oregon named Henry Groover who was uh, driving south of Medford somewhere and had a car wreck in the 70s and he died. He was brought back to life, but he died and he said, I didn't even realize anything had changed for a minute or two until I look down and I see my bleeding head on the pavement. He said, but nothing, absolutely nothing about me changed in any way. I didn't feel any change. I didn't think any change. I didn't, the world did not start glowing in light. He said, it was as easy as my foot coming out of my slipper, my soul coming out of my body. And I didn't even know that it had happened. He said, my wife and my kids are running around the vehicle screaming and I'm trying to comfort them and I, and I realize they can't hear me. And I look down and I'm standing on my body. But absolutely nothing changed about who he was. When this happens, you will still be you. Do you hear me? You're never going to be anything other than you. If you're born again in Christ now, you're not going to be born again again. All right, you're as holy as you're going to be, and everything is going to be completely perfected at that moment. But you are you. Come on now. And the body that is transformed is still your body. It's this body. Jesus' body that died on the cross was resurrected. He didn't get a new, different, completely unrelated body. That's actually one of the heresies of the ancient church is that Jesus was raised in something different like a ghost or a spirit or something. It was this body that raised from the dead. But it was glorified, it was perfected, it was made spiritually powerful and alive in a way that this body is not. So there's no sickness, there's no weakness, there's no ignorance, there's no death. But it's still you. You're still you. Hello. You made completely perfect. That's the good news part. But it's gentle. I don't see it as being anything violent or scary. I think it'll be very forceful in Jesus' eagerness. Like this is the moment. Since the first day of creation, this is the moment that we have been living for. When I get to be with you and you get to be with me. I think it will happen so fast because he is so excited. But it won't be violent. It won't be rough. People read the verses about one will be taken and one left. Or you see in the movies where there's chaos and you know, who knows what's going on here at earth. We won't care. It will be, we will be very, very happy for whatever changes happen. <laughs> but it will be very smooth and gentle. It'll be great. In case you've run into it, there is... There are Christians who teach that we shouldn't be cremated because then you won't have a body to resurrect. That's a pretty earthly perspective on things because if you bury a body, eventually there isn't a body either. Whatever, we're, whatever we are at the resurrection, it is this body, but it's, it's not completely earthly elemental like we think of now. So if you're one that's been taught to fear cremation, don't worry about that. Jesus will handle that same way he handled everybody else that's already turned to dirt. <laughs> it's all right. All right.
Matthew 24, Jesus says this. This is Jesus speaking. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds. One, oh, from one end of heaven to the other. That's good news. Yeah, that's good news. <laughs> Yeah, that's very good news. Jesus has lots of different signs that he told us would happen, some of which already have happened, some are happening, and some will happen. But he says the very last one is that the very heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars, will shake and be changed. And then everyone in the entire globe will see me come in clouds of glory. It's funny, when you're <clears throat> when I was a kid, I, and kids think things that, aren't very realistic. My picture, when I went to Sunday school and I heard these passages and other stories, I knew the parable of Jesus separating the sheep from the goats and so on. And and every time I would see, as a kid, I would see a shaft of sunlight come through the clouds and my heart would kind of skip a beat. Like, <gasps> Jesus is coming back. <laughs> and I would instantly repent of all sin and be ready. But I, my picture of Jesus' return was that Jesus was going to come back to my dad's farm where we lived because I'm going to be with Jesus. Obviously, he needs to be where I'm at. So judgment day will happen in our backyard. That's where I saw Jesus come down and he would land in our garden and his throne would be there and all of his angels would herd all the people, just like this verse says, to our farm in northwest Missouri. And and then so my dad had uh, an 80 acres across the road from our field and then we had a neighbor um, and his 80 acres was on the other side of the road and and um, so my my plan was, or my imagination was, that Jesus would put all of his sheep in my dad's field and all the goats would go to Larry O'Reilly's field because Larry was a drunk and a bad guy and I was scared of him. So Jesus would put all the goats over in Larry's field and then um, he would, we would go to heaven or hell, or, you know, whatever. So <laughs> that was my six-year-old or eight-year-old picture of Judgment Day <laughs> and the return of Jesus. He does say, we will come on the clouds in glory and everyone will see and everyone will know. And his people will be very, very happy. It says the rest of the tribes of the earth will mourn. But we will see the Son of Man coming. There will be a trumpet and the angels will take us to Jesus. That is good news. That is very, very good news. Some of you, Believe this with all your heart and you're ready for it. You're excited. You're looking forward to it. Others of you are like, hmm, this sounds a lot like a fairy tale to me. I don't know that this is actually going to happen. Some of you would like to believe it, but you have a hard time imagining how it might look. Like I can't imagine anything other than just normal everyday life. Well, you're in good company with that one because the Apostle John said the same thing. First John 3 verse 2 John says, Beloved, we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Apostle John writes this. He says, We know that Jesus has made us children of God. What we will be, we don't know yet. Well, the Bible's full of stuff about what's coming and what we will be. And, but John says it's so much more awesome and amazing 
that we can't even imagine. The Old Testament says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. We can't even imagine the things that God has prepared for us. So if you have a hard time imagining how this could actually happen and what it would look like, it's okay. It's all right. Meditate on these things. Comfort one another with these words. It's really true. Jesus is on his way back. You got my scripture this week. The night is almost over. The day is very near. It is so close. This is the gospel. It is the good news. Jesus is coming back for us. When Jesus spoke about this day that is coming, at least three times that I could think of off the top of my head this morning in bed, and I think maybe even like five times, he compares it to a king or a master of servants, a king or a master figure who goes on a long trip to a to a foreign country and then he comes back and when he comes back he mentions and every time he mentions it he mentions that he has reward for his servants who have done their job while he was gone in matthew i'm sorry in revelation 19 jesus says i'm coming and my reward is in my hand it is the first thing he mentions in that passage where he says i'm coming back and i have a reward for you it is so many scriptures about Jesus, when he returns, the first thing that will happen is that he will reward us for our service, our giving, our obedience, our lives of faith and love that we can't even go into them this morning. We're going to do that in a couple Sundays, just an entire Sunday on all the scriptures where Jesus says, I'm coming back to reward you. So we have the parable of the talents and the minas and so on, but one of the main pictures Jesus uses is this picture of a servant or, I'm sorry, of a king or a master who has some servants. He goes away, he gives them all jobs to do, and when he comes back, he's got his payment or his reward in his hand. And spend an entire Sunday morning on what that, what the Bible says about that, what that looks like. Jesus is very excited to repay us for our faith, which is mind-blowing that he would do anything for us other than thank you, Jesus, for saving me. But he is so generous and so awesome that he he has reward for the people who actually give their lives to serve him in faith while he was gone. That's amazing. The other picture that he uses in a, par- a couple of parables, and then it's in Song of Solomon and other passages, is Jesus uses this picture of a groom who comes for his bride and they get married. That's his other picture of the day of his return. In Old Testament days, I'm sorry, in Bible days, a groom would buy the girl from her dad for sheep or cows or whatever. They would negotiate a price. And then after father had approved of the marriage, the young man would go home and build a house. The very, very richest people might build their own house, but the average Joes of the world would go to mom and dad's house and they would build a room on mom and dad's house where they, I'm sorry, where he is getting ready to bring his, wife and when he was done building his room 
on dad's house. Then he would come and get the girl that he had paid for weeks or months before, and there would be a wedding. The weddings weren't necessarily scheduled on a day six months ahead of time like we do it because we didn't know when he might get the house done. Is that Jesus? Did he pay for us? Come on. Did he purchase us from our father? Yes, he did. We're more than a two-cow bride. We're the blood of Jesus bride. The most expensive price that's ever been paid for a bride. A little bit more special than a couple cows. And then he said, I'm going away to build a home for us. Hello. And when I'm done, I'll return. In my father's house are many rooms. So we're going to take a whole Sunday and look at that in a couple of weeks. That this, what Jesus called the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's in Revelation. It's in Song of Solomon. It's in Jesus' parables. The wedding supper of the Lamb. That when Jesus returns, in his parable of the virgins, the ten virgins, that five are wise and five are not, the very first thing that the groom character does in the story, who's Jesus, is he grabs his girl and he takes her in and they get married. It's the very first thing that happens in that story. I, mean, I realize there's other ones, but on the day of Jesus' return, whatever it looks like is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the day that Jesus has been looking forward to for 2,000 years, to be one with us. And then the Old Testament calls the day of the return of Jesus the day of the Lord. And multiple times it says the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because for the people in Christ, it will be great. And for the people who have rejected Jesus, it will be terrible. We won't be a part of that if you're in Jesus. But there will be other things going on. Revelation shows it very graphically and powerfully. And we will look at those in a few weeks also, what's going on in the earth on the day of Jesus' return? A couple things, and, th and then I'll close. If you've been here all along through this whole series, you've noticed I've never brought up the rapture. I've never mentioned it. Lots of you are trying to pin me down on my rapture stuff. I'm specifically not going there because I don't think there's any life value in arguing over whether we get taken out seven years early or three and a half years early or not at all early. I don't think it matters at all. If you want to label me, you can label me post-tribulation. I don't believe there's a rapture that's early. Um, I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. I know the teachings that say, the, the teachers say that it's there and, and all that, and I'm not going to argue with anybody. I just, we're just not going to do it. If you want to believe that and read those books, I I'm not going to debate that at all. Really what's going to happen is going to happen, regardless of what we've believed or been taught. Jesus will take care of it all and we'll all be okay, uh, whether whether it's early or not. I just want to show you this passage uh, lastly to close. It's from Luke 17. This is Jesus speaking. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. 
As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they drank, I'm sorry, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went on out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus is saying a lot of stuff there, that normal life will go on until this day happens. He said repeatedly it will come when people aren't expecting it. So whatever movies you've seen or books you've read, um, normal, everyday, earthly life is not going to end. It's going to go on, Jesus said so. But he uses the story of Noah and the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction to be pictures. And he says... When I come back, it will be like Noah's ark and the flood. That when I get you on my ark and you are to safety, on that day, the flood will happen and the earth will be destroyed. Jesus says right here, on that day. Not three and a half years earlier or seven years earlier or whatever else. He says, on the day that I come for you and get you out to safety, the flood will happen. The earth will be destroyed. Likewise, in the days of Lot, this is Jesus speaking again for the story from Genesis. The Sodom and Gomorrah were so evil they had to be destroyed. It says fire and brimstone rained from the sky. That's most likely some volcanic eruption that buried the city in lava and falling fire and ash and so on. And Lot and his wife and his daughters were in the city and God sends two angels to pull them out. And as they are leaving the city, the eruption happens and fire rains down and buries and kills, burns up the entire city. Jesus says, that is a picture of me coming for you. When I come, I will pull you out. And on that day, Jesus says, on that day, the fire will fall. That's his description of what will happen outside of his rescue on that day. So if you have to label me, I'm a post-trib. There isn't any time in between when Jesus pulls us out and when judgment comes on the earth. And Revelation 19 is when Jesus comes from heaven to earth. In the book of Revelation, there are believers on the earth right up until that very moment. In the first 18 chapters of Revelation, there is no time when there aren't Christians on the earth. In Matthew 24, he says, immediately after the tribulation, I will come. So I understand some of you care deeply about these things and some of you don't care at all. That's all I'm going to say. If you care, we can talk anytime later. After this passage, I don't have it on the screen. I just want to close with this thought. The next couple verses, Jesus continues on with this story of Lot being rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah as a picture of us being pulled out of the world on the day of the Lord or the day that he returns. And he says this, it's the second shortest verse in the Bible. Everybody knows the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, two words. The second shortest verse is three words. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. It's two or three verses down from what I've got here on the screen. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Well, what did Lot's wife do? As they're running out of town, the angel said, don't turn around and look back. And I don't know what they saw or heard from behind them, Volcanic eruption, earthquake, screams, I don't know what. The town is being buried in lava as they're getting rescued out by God's angels. And something in her was still back in town. 
And she turned around, and she was instantly turned into, the Bible says, a pillar of salt. She was dead for her disobedience to the angels to not look back. But I think what Jesus means here in Luke when he says, remember Lot's wife is, don't have a divided heart. Let nothing on this earth have priority. That when the day of the Lord comes and he is rescuing us out, there isn't anything here that we would want. This command from Jesus, remember Lot's wife. Don't get distracted by the things of this life. The things in this world, whether it's your money or your job or your family or your stuff, Jesus says, if you don't leave everything, you can't follow me. That doesn't mean we don't have family. Of course we love our family. We go to a job because God gave us a job and commanded us to work one. We go on vacation because God commands rest and recreation. We love people. We serve people. We do ministry because Jesus gave it to us to serve and love other people. So there isn't anything we can't have or do. It just can't have priority in our heart. And if God says drop it, we drop it. If Jesus says sell it, we sell it. If Jesus says stop it, we stop it. There can't be, when Jesus comes for us, there can't be any looking back like, oh, oh God, my, my home. Oh, wait, Jesus, I wanted one more elk hunt. <laughs> Jesus, can I bring my ski boat? Whatever, I know I'm being silly, but there can't be any priority in this life. Paul says everything is trash for the sake of Christ. He actually uses a much stronger word than trash. He calls it sewage. And the four-letter word for sewage is actually what Paul wrote. It's all garbage for the sake of Christ. Of course, we love our family. We work a job. We love our home, our place. Enjoy. Live life. But compared to Jesus, Jesus said, you hate even your mother and father compared to me. We know God doesn't want us to hate mom and dad. But in comparison to our draw, our priority, our love for him, nothing else can matter. So my question this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready? Is your heart all for Jesus? Some of you may be not saved here this morning. You've never made Jesus the actual owner and Lord of your heart. Others of you, you're Christians, but you've been living in compromise or laziness or divided attention, and there's other things that have taken your time and your thoughts and your money and the priorities of your life. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Because there was a day that they were not expecting, and it came on them very fast. And it was time to leave now. And her heart was still had other priorities than being with God. And she looked back. Jesus told us, don't do that. How can we know if we'll be ready? Are you ready now? Is there anything you own that you wouldn't sell or give up? Is there anything you love to do that you wouldn't stop doing if Jesus said to? Is there any person in your life that controls you through intimidation that you would not Follow Jesus even if it upset them. Time to repent. Get things right. Let's do it now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the word, the promises.